Good morning. This week, I, uh, I think it was about Wednesday, I had a dream, and in that dream, um, it was Sunday morning, it was five after 10, I wasn't done with the message, and I couldn't even get it off my computer. And so that's sort of the trifecta, where you're going to be late, you're not done, and you can't even get there. So, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The scripture for our consideration this morning is taken from the book of Job. The verses we're about to read are some of my favorite in the whole of the Bible. This bit of scripture, these verses that we're about to read, carry a meaning for me that is difficult to adequately describe. To me, they are profound. When I read them, I often get goosebumps. When I even think about these verses, before I've even read them, they stir me. Some verses in Scripture do that to me. Our Scripture for this morning is Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Please stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to read them first in King James and then uh, in ESV. You have the ESV in Bibles in front of you. It reads, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And in the ESV, a bit more modern. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. You may be seated. I'm the son of a preacher. Growing up the son of a preacher, let's just say that I've had occasion to attend funerals. Lots of them. As a youth, you had little choice, but gradually, as you get older and the years accumulate, the people that helped shape your world die. People important to people you love die. People you knew well pass away. The funerals that you once attended as a youth because you had no choice transition to funerals you attend because that is what you do. These verses are very frequently, almost universally, read at Christian funerals. Perhaps that fact plays a role in why these few verses from Scripture carry such deep meaning for me. This is fresh in my mind. Just recently, I had a relative pass away. And I traveled to the Midwest and attended that funeral. There I was again standing in a cemetery at a graveside, and scripture was opened. And these passages are again proclaimed to provide comfort and reassurance to those mourning the loss. Now the book of Job is perhaps the oldest book in the Bible. If it is not the oldest, it is among the oldest books of scripture. It is old. Yet we see a remarkable understanding by Job of God's plan. 
Last Sunday, Pastor Stephen talked about a genre of scripture called a lament. He discussed Psalm 88 as an example of a lament. This week, we will again look at a book of the Bible that is substantially a lament, a very famous lament. I've had this portion of scripture in mind for quite some time. So when Pastor Stephen preached on a lament, I considered for a moment that I might focus on a different bit of scripture. But this topic is vast. And scripture has a lot more for us in this regard. The book of Job is considered both a theological and literary masterpiece. Just read it. The human author is unknown, but we know that it's inspired. I think it would be valuable to understand the context, the circumstances that existed, the situation that Job was experiencing when he uttered these words. Let's take a brief look at the book of Job. It begins with an introduction of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Job is described as blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was also extremely wealthy. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons would hold a feast in the house of each one of his, on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Now Job would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This is context for the kind of person that Job was. Next, we see that God and Satan have an encounter and converse. God asks, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan says, you are protecting Job, and you have blessed the work of his hands, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. God gives all that Job has over to Satan. But God does not allow Satan to do anything to Job physically. Next we read that in one day, all on the same day, Job's oxen and donkeys are stolen. And the servants that were watching them are killed except the one servant delivering this news. While that servant is still speaking, a servant that was watching Job's flock arrives and delivers the news that Job, or that fire came down from the sky and burned up the sheep and servants that were watching the sheep. And the servant delivering this news is the sole survivor. While that servant is still speaking, another servant arrives and delivers the news that the Chaldeans formed three groups, made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with swords. And this messenger is the sole survivor. And while he is still speaking, another arrives and tells Job, that his sons and daughters were feasting, and a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they died, and he alone escaped to tell Job. Now surely this is the point in the story where the lament begins. No. Scripture says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground, 
and what began his lament? No. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and he worshiped. He utters these famous words. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in the last verse of Job chapter 1, we read, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, we see a second conversation between God and Satan. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He holds fast his integrity, although you incite me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that came upon him, they came each from his own place. Their names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They made an appointment together to come and show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw his suffering was very great. Now Job begins his lament. The beginning of Job chapter 3 reads, After this Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Much of the rest of the book of Job is dialogue between Job and his three friends. The seven days and seven nights of silence that marked their initial time together with Job gave way to a discussion of why this has happened to him. His friends claim that he must have done something wrong and his misfortunes are the result of these wrongs. One of his friends, Eliphaz, in chapter 4, verse 17 states, Can mortal man be in the right before God? Job asserts his innocence to his friends. In chapter 6, verse 24, Job says, Teach me and I will be silent. Make me to understand how I have gone astray. In verse 30 of the same chapter, Job asks, Is there any injustice in my tongue? Can my palate, cannot my palate discern the cause of my calamity? These three friends, in turn, take issue with Job regarding the cause of his circumstances. In the middle of all this deep and profound loss, and in pain, covered with, as Scripture says, loathsome sores, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, he has to contend with this argumentative bunch that are speculating unjustly about the cause of Job's present circumstances. If you have ever been in pain, your ability to deal with annoying and annoying situation is drastically reduced. That even tolerates this and does not send them away is remarkable. There is a descriptive term that someone has the patience of Job. This is what patience looks like. Love is patient. It is in this context, deep, 
deep loss and physical pain and the badgering of those that should have remained silent for longer than just a week that our verse from today is uttered by Job. Again, Job 19, 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. This verse begins with the words, I know. I know. It does not say, I hope, or I wish, or maybe, or perhaps, or I've heard tell that. Rather, it says, I know. What comes next, therefore, is settled knowledge with Job. It is a certainty with him. Now, what we know affects how we think, how we behave. This is a deep and profound faith that Job is professing. What did he know? The next words are that my Redeemer, my Redeemer, this is intensely personal to Job. Notice he doesn't say a Redeemer or the Redeemer. It is more intimate. He says my Redeemer. What is Job talking about here? What does it mean to redeem? To redeem is to buy back. You don't need a Redeemer unless there is something you need to be redeemed from. What does Job need to be redeemed from? Brothers and sisters, this is an acknowledgement of sin. Remember, he is described as blameless, not sinless. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not only does Job need a Redeemer, not only does he need to be redeemed, but this Redeemer is able to redeem. And he lives. This Redeemer lives. My Redeemer liveth, is how it is written in the King James. He exists. He exists now. It is not lived, as in the past tense, lives, present tense. And he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And after worms have destroyed this body, meaning Job is dead, decomposed, dust, yet in my flesh shall I see God. This is bodily resurrection and standing before God. This faith sustains him in the midst of this trial. There has been another person, a fourth person present with Job that has heard the discussion between Job and his three friends. He is a younger man named Elihu. Chapter 32 reads, So these three men ceased to answer Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he said, I gave you my attention, and behold, there was None among you who refuted Job or answered his words. Next we see God enter the scene. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. 
Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Many other questions are posed to Job by God, and Job cannot answer. Job repents. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. The Lord also rebukes Job's friends. He says to life, as my anger burns against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And scripture says, then the Lord restored Job's fortunes. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He is given a double portion of everything he lost. He lost seven sons and three daughters and is blessed with another seven sons and three daughters. This is not a double portion unless you consider that they preceded him into heaven and that in light of eternity, he has a double portion. Job is never given an explanation of why this all happened, although we don't know all that God was doing in allowing these trials to come to pass. We know more than Job did. He is not given an explanation. All this suffering could appear unjust. Isaiah 53 has something to say about suffering. Referring to Jesus prophetically, and beginning on, on verse 3, it reads, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and he was esteemed not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. What we do know is that God has not remained distant from suffering, but he has entered in, all the way in. Ask yourself, what is God doing on a cross? Job is described as upright and blameless. Jesus is sinless. Job had sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. Jesus had a crown of thorns and was nailed through his feet. We saw in chapter 1 that Job made sacrifices for his offering, interceding for his children. Jesus was the sacrifice for his children. In Romans 8, 34, we read, Jesus is at the right hand of God who is interceding, who is indeed interceding for us. He was the sacrifice. He is also the intercessor. A while back, uh, Stephen referred to uh, the brothers Karmazov, and that those were books that he just couldn't quite get through, and I too am reading them, but they are a thick read. But there's a quote from the brothers Karmazov. Fyodor Dostoevsky writes this. To me, this is powerful. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, 
something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Romans 8 is a chapter of the Bible for a bad day or when you're experiencing trials. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul is looking ahead to future glory. It reads, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What sufferings of this present time has Paul experienced? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28 lists just some of the things Paul suffered. It reads, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This wrote, man wrote the bulk of the New Testament. Again, back to Romans chapter 8 which I term the chapter of the Bible for a bad day. Beginning at verse 31, it reads, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. In verse 2 and 3, Prior to the healing, it reads, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In James 1, verse 4, it reads, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Charles Spurgeon writes, We are not all like Job, 
but we all have Job's God. Though we have neither risen to Job's wealth, nor will probably ever sink to Job's poverty, yet there is the same God above us if we be high, and the same God with his everlasting arms beneath us if we are brought low. And what the Lord did for Job, he will do for us, not precisely in the same form, but in the same spirit and with like design. Not knowing, waiting to know, not knowing in this life, on this side of eternity, are all possibilities. Remember how our story in Job started. Satan said Job would curse God to his face. This did not happen. Uh, one commenter, commentator named Simic says the following, Without anger toward him, God allowed Job to suffer in order to humiliate the accuser and provide support to countless sufferers who would follow in Job's footsteps. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph is speaking to his brothers that had sold him into slavery, and now he has ascended to the point where he is essentially running Egypt for Pharaoh. He says to his brothers, as you... As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. When Joseph was in the pit where his brothers had thrown him, and while he is being sold into slavery by them, do you imagine that he was thinking to himself, God has a good plan. This is all going to work out. In the moment, it was awful. But in retrospect, standing there before his brothers, now as a governor over all Egypt, he could see it. Romans 8.28 reads, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Genesis 18.28 reads, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is, Yes, he will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that it imparts to us. We thank you for the example of Job that is provided for us in the Bible. You had a plan even for that, that we would see it and have this resource, Father. We just thank you, Father. Help us to rely on you when things are difficult, when we don't understand, when it can't possibly seem like it's your will, Father. We know that you, you are at work. We just pray for what we're experiencing now, Father, with COVID-19. We don't understand it, but you are at work. This has not escaped your notice, and great things will come of this, Father. Just help us to persevere well, Father. We just thank you that you desire our prayer. We thank you that we are redeemed. And that gives us hope for every day. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.